Hey, did you know that you're human and that means you have limits and limitations? This episode is all about giving yourself and others around you permission to be human and how demonstrating humility means you're demonstrating resilience. I'm Dr. Megan Wilkin, and this is the Resilience Plus Podcast. As we put the finishing touches on season three, we realized something really important. When we started making this podcast, we were so excited to hear from other people outside our team that we completely forgot to introduce ourselves. So our guest this month, well, it's me, Dr. Megan Wilkin. You probably recognize my voice as the person who provides the extra material to each English episode. That makes me the wizard behind the curtain for all of you Wizard of Oz fans out there. I guess in reality, I'm actually the academic behind the computer, even though I think wizards are technically cooler. Behind the scenes, people like myself don't typically like stepping out into the spotlight. The guests we've had on the podcast so far across our first few seasons have lived, at least in my opinion, much more interesting lives. Like many guests so far on the podcast, I have lived through experiences that have both challenged and fostered my resilience but I never really considered it to be anything out of the ordinary or anything someone else could learn from. But then one day I was telling a personal story to a colleague in a nonchalant sort of way. Their reaction to my story suggested that maybe my story was interesting. Maybe my advice was valuable. Maybe my perspective would help someone else. So before I had the chance to get scared and back out, I sat down with our Senior Resilience Plus Ambassador, Officer Cadet Courtney Latour, for a fun conversation that we haven't had the chance to have until now. So here goes nothing, an episode featuring me, Dr. Megan Wilkin, and Officer Cadet Courtney Latour. Hi everyone, welcome back to another Resilience Plus podcast. I'm Officer Cadet Courtney, and I'm here with our very own Dr. Megan Wilkin. She's on the other side of the podcast today. I'm really excited here. So I guess without further ado, we can begin. So welcome um, to being interviewed. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Sure. So as you mentioned, I'm Dr. Megan Wilkin. I'm an assistant professor in the faculty, uh, or a faculty member, a term faculty member in military psychology and leadership. And I am sort of the wizard behind the curtain of the podcast. Um, So my background is in behavioral neuroscience. So I teach a lot of classes, obviously, on campus in psychology, but also brain science, how the brain functions. Um, My research area looks primarily at how stress affects the brain and the body. So how stress changes cell structure in regions of the brain that regulate things like mood and anxiety, uh, our eating behavior, um, risk-taking behavior, addiction, and so on. And uh, the brain is super, super plastic. So the effects of stress are dynamic and dependent on a whole bunch of different variables. And one of the variables that I'm interested in is development. So if you imagine like a natural disaster or uh, war or any of these sort of um, collective stressors that people experience. There's people that are going through those stressors at different time points in development, right? So you have babies and kids and teenagers and young adults and senior citizens and everybody is at a different time point in development. And so too is their brain. And so, you know, theoretically is the stressor different on a different brain based on its plasticity or vulnerability? And sure enough, it is. Um, and so, 
that's sort of my my sort of driving research. But more recently, I started to look at the other side of the coin. So what makes people more resilient? What can we do to prevent the effects of stress on the brain? Um, I really recently started becoming interested in like social connection and camaraderie. When I started working at RMC, obviously, there's a level of camaraderie that comes with uh, squadrons or platoons. And even more recently, because I'm a dog person I'm a dog mom um I started becoming interested in 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 like the camaraderie or the social connection that people can have with animals now because I'm a dog mom my focus happens to be on dogs um so I'm I'm kind of looking right now research wise into the current and historical use of dogs in the military and looking at it from that sort of social buffering social connection standpoint as opposed to um, I think there's lots of examples for for example of working dogs right so like bomb detection dogs or security dogs and stuff like that but you know could we could we reduce some of the effects of deployment and active military zones by having camaraderie dogs or companion dogs on location um, so that's my research background. Uh, then I joined Resilience Plus, and so I'm like a little wizard behind the curtain for all of you um, uh, Wizard of Oz fans out there. I'm the wizard behind the curtain of the podcast and some of the other initiatives with Resilience Plus. Um, other than that, um, I'm working on becoming bilingual. So I have a super profound respect for people who speak more than one language and a little bit of empathy for cadets who are working uh, towards their Bs as part of their degree. Um, so, you, so yeah, I wear a lot of hats. I'll put it that way. I wear a lot of hats. <laughs> I have my finger in a whole bunch of different honeypots um, and I'm a little busy bee kind of like glittering around from flower to flower. Absolutely. Um, you are very busy and you kind of made me mention that you, you juggle or you wear a lot of hats. Um, is there a method or a specific intervention that you use to stay organized with everything that's going on and all of the different projects that you're involved in? I know within Resilience Plus, you're not only involved with, within the podcast, but you're involved in like so many of the dis different initiatives and all the planning and the, the soirees. How do you do it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so um, most people think it's caffeine. It's not caffeine. I don't actually drink coffee. Um, but I do rely quite heavily on technology. So I and I admit it, I don't love that I have to rely on technology, but I set alarms and reminders and calendar notifications. And I use my phone uh, to tell me when I'm supposed to be somewhere at a certain time. And then because I'm a little bit old school, uh, I also have to write stuff down. So I, in addition to the sort of tech and reliance on tech to remind me where I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to be doing, I also go old school and write things down. And I'm a little bit of a nerd, so it's all color coded as well. Um, but yeah, so I rely a lot on technology. And then from a more humanistic perspective or from a more psychological perspective or resilience plus perspective I practice a lot of humility um and so like I wear a bunch of hats and I juggle and I will be sending emails at like 11 30 at night but I don't expect people to work the same way that I work and so I never ex when I send an email that late at night I never expect somebody to send me a response two minutes later right um and so like 
the way that I live my life and the, the chaos that I sometimes create for myself by wearing so many hats, um, I don't expect of everybody else. And so I demonstrate humility and patience with other people because I realize that it's a little bit crazy, the, the, the multitude of hats that I wear. So yeah, I rely mostly on technology and then practicing humility. Um, because you have so much going on um, and a lot of it is you know, your work and your hobbies and your additional interests and improving um, your skills with, with French training. Um, how do you maintain a work-life balance? Because you do mention, you know, I've, I've seen your cute little puppy. Um, you know, you are a dog mom and, you know, you have your personal life and your professional life. And how do you do it both? Yeah. So... Four hours in the day, mind you. <laughs> yeah. So that that's a really tough question to answer actually because I wouldn't say that I am good at work-life balance um and I I, I it, don't think that anybody is inherently good at creating work-life balance I think much like resilience we have to practice it and we get better across time and you know we have to put um we have to sort of put boundaries or barriers in place for ourselves so I don't think that anybody just gets work-life balance right off the bat. I think it comes across time. And I can definitely talk about times where I did not have any work-life balance and the consequences that then fell out from that. Um, I also have a partner who works in a very different environment. So he's not an academic and he works a more regular nine to five, Monday to Friday kind of job. And so I use him sort of as a model because he will often say to me, like, oh, is this necessary? Do you have to do this right now? Or could you write it down in a notebook or put a reminder in your phone for tomorrow and just just walk away from your computer? And sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes I do have to stay up quite late, you know, grading papers or formatting an exam or pre prepping a class or something like that because I'm the only one who's going to do it, right? I'm the professor. So I'm, there's nobody who's going to step in and, and teach the class on my behalf, right? Whereas for him, somebody could step into his role and, 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 and sort of fill in for him if he needed to step away. So I, I use him as a model as somebody outside of academia who perhaps has a little bit more work-life balance just by the nature of their job. Um, and I also sort of create a little bit of overlap, right? So you have seen Bodhi on campus every once in a while. Um, I, you know, she needs to be walked. So every once in a while, you'll see me walking around campus with Bodhi. And that's sort of a blend of the work-life balance, right? Um, I have to be on campus for a certain event or a certain task. And maybe then thereafter, I can walk around campus, clear my head, and then also walk my dog, which is a responsibility that I have. Which, by the way, if you see us walking around campus and you would like to say hi, please feel free to stop and say hi. Bodhi is working on uh, what's becoming like uh, what's called a good neighbor dog, which means like she can go into hospitals and nursing homes and be on, on school campuses and stuff like that. But she's a puppy and she's learning. So if you would like to stop and say hi and help us out with some of her training and some of her manners, please feel free to stop us if you see us walking around campus. Absolutely. Um, she's so she's adorable. Um so you, you may mention about a few times where you didn't quite grasp the balance between your, your professional life and your, your personal life, and you had to deal with the ramifications or the consequences of that. Yeah. Um, how did you bounce back from, let's say, um, adversity based off of 
whatever it is. Um, and like, how have you demonstrated anti-fragility to overcome or grow from it? Yeah. So um, I think, I think one of the things that happened to me at least was my body got louder and louder and louder. And mm -hmm. so I wasn't listening. And so some of those consequences got more and more severe. And so now I have this kind of phrase that I say to people is like the body gets louder. And so you kind of have to start listening or it will get louder and louder and louder. So it might start with, for example, like you, you've spent too much time at your computer. So you've got eye strain and you're getting a headache. You really should pay attention and be mindful of that and maybe get up, go to the washroom, grab a drink, spend 10 or 15 minutes doing something else, washing your dishes, cleaning up your room, whatever, to actually give your body a break. Um, and if you don't, then it's going to get worse, right? Because now you haven't eaten something, you haven't gotten a drink, you haven't gotten to the washroom, and your energy starts to deplete. And then like fast forward across hours or days of not paying attention to your body. And so like, I actually ended up in the hospital, because it was, I was just so enthralled with my work. And I had so many demanding tasks and revert back to not having that work life balance. And the body got louder and louder and louder. And then I ended up uh needing like an emergency surgery so like it, it can get quite severe it doesn't always get that severe and I encourage people to listen and be mindful of of their work-life balance before it gets to that point but if you don't in my experience the body will get louder and louder and louder and the consequences will get more and more severe until you start paying attention and so then after that happened I had several people supporting me in my life that keep me in balance right so again my partner some of my colleagues will check in with me um, and say like hey are you paying attention to this like your health matters first right because if you are not healthy and you're not well how are you supposed to do all those other things and um and so now because of that I build into my day like I shut off the computer at a specific time and and I write down any of the tasks I didn't get done today and like again I practice humility with myself as well as others that you know I'm not a robot I can't work 24 hours a day 7 days a week like a machine um I can put in long days I can put in really dedicated time but at some point I have to take a break and in the grand scheme of things, like if you look across a career or, or a lifetime, you know, working yourself into a tizzy or for way too long and, and, and having those deleterious effects on your body is not really worth it. Like the class will still happen. The students will still learn something. The paper will still get published. The event with Resilience Plus will still go off without a hitch. And so you don't really have to invest to the point of those really serious consequences it's just not worth it in the end um and so like the tools that I use is to rely on other people and to sort of use them as a model when I think that they have a better balance than I do or they have some sort of like tool or technique that they use I give it a try sometimes it works for me sometimes it doesn't um but yeah it's sort of relying on those social connections as a model of what I don't really have figured out just yet absolutely um that was really well thought out. I mean, one thing you really, like I really pulled from that was just listening to your body, which I think is something is oftentimes missed. Um, tend to ignore it, especially with, with working and being so enthralled by it. Um, but if there is one specific piece of advice or one saying um, that you would tell a younger version of yourself, what would it be and why? 
Yeah, so like the one that I have now is the the body gets louder, but one that I also revert to a lot is the idea of like this too shall pass. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure that it's Persian in origin. I could be wrong. Don't don't quote me on that one. But most recently where I saw it come up was actually on YouTube and it was actor Tom Hanks talking to a bunch of other um, actors of different ages. And he was talking about acting as a career. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it has really high highs and really, really low lows. And that to me was analogous of life, right? Like life has really high highs and really low lows. But in both instances, time will pass and it will change, right? So we tend to think about it when we're in the sort of challenging times and we're really stressed out and we've got a lot on our plate, we tend to get sort of mental blinders on and we send, and our mind has this weird way of telling us that it's going to be like this forever. And it's not actually true. It's not actually indefinite, right? This too will pass. Um, And so I think to my younger self, I would just say like, when you're in those moments of challenge, remember that this too shall pass because it will like, but that, that comes with age and experience knowing that. But the flip side of it is that also is applicable to when things are really great. And when you're really living on, like a really high moment of life and you're in like the celebration right um is to really take it in and cherish that moment because the time will pass so like when I think about my life as an academic because that's where I've spent the most amount of years when I was an undergrad student it seemed like forever and those four years seemed like the be all and end all and then you get to graduation and it's like the biggest accomplishment that you've had and it's gone in a minute. Like it, it just passes so quickly. And then you're on to the next chapter. So for me, that was graduate school. For for people at RMC, it might be to their first posting. It might be eventually on to graduate school. Um, and and then you're back down the ladder rung, right? You're back down to square one. You gotta kind of climb again and you get to those celebratory moments. And if you don't pay attention to them, they pass, right? And so you have to pay attention to the good times as well, because this too shall pass. Um, so my advice to my younger self was to remember, whether good or or challenging, celebratory or stressful, this too shall pass. So, you know, like just to keep that in mind, because it gives you a bit of perspective when it doesn't seem like the time is going to pass, which often happens most of the time when it's when we're dealing with crappy stuff. Absolutely. I love that. This too shall pass. It really reminds me of why we hone in on the letters project with the, the fourth years and the um, alumni um, with the, the first years, just because it seems like every single day, especially during FIOP, it, yeah. it drags on. But, you know, and you're, you're so excited about leaving and graduating, but really when that time comes around the corner it's it's nostalgic and uh, these four years or however many years you spend at the the college here could be some of the best and the worst times but yeah yeah absolutely that that was fantastic but I'd like Um, to talk to you Courtney like 20 years from now and (laughs) and then we'll talk about the four years and we'll see like how how much like those four years are all that you have as a reference point when you're in it as a cadet but like once you're off doing your your whatever trade you're in and like fast forward which it will go fast forward I will I will promise you that um because how I ended up here from that moment of graduation from undergrad it's a blink of an eye right so if you don't take the time 
this too mm-hmm. shall pass. The time will pass. So good or bad, you have to pay attention. That's amazing. Um, one thing I always tell myself is uh, slow down okay. and rush through things and not um, sit in the moment, which I think is um, just makes use of practicing my mindfulness, right? Being yeah. aware of what I'm feeling and the people around me and my emotional connections with the things and the people and the experiences, uh, which brings me to my next question. What's your favorite way to practice mindfulness? Because I know it's something that can um, sometimes be forgotten, especially when you have a lot going on like you do in your life. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so mindfulness, I think like resilience and like work-life balance is a practice. And some days I'm really good at being mindful and other days I, I'm not good at all. Um, so, but that, that I think is, is, um, a little bit freeing to know that you don't have to be perfect at it. So I'm also among the many hats, a certified yoga instructor. And uh, part of that training, we learned that there's this representation of what mindfulness or meditation or yoga looks like and you have to have the right outfit and you have to have the perfect location and it has to be silent and you have to sit there for an hour and and all of that is just bogus it's not true um so you can practice mindfulness for a minute and that's better than not practicing at all and sure if you have enough time to sit around and and take in your environment for 60 minutes great but if you wear a lot of hats and you don't have time for that then a minute is all you got and you should practice it in a minute. So again, I revert back to technology. I actually have an app on my phone and my watch that is called a mindfulness minute. And so when I put the watch on and when I take it off at night, I take 60 seconds and I use the app because it's it, it gives you something to think about or reflect on from the day or maybe from the week. Um, so that is one of the ways in which I practice it when my when I'm too fast and I need to slow down. Um, the other thing that I like to do is in particular in this time of year is to really pay attention to the visuals of the environment. So in fall, all of the changes of the season, right? So I, yeah. yeah. So like going to the gym is like the bane of my existence. I just, for my brain, it's not a good thing. It's good for my body, right? To get exercise, but like to do it on a treadmill is like the worst thing. Like the physical benefits are at the consequence of mental, (laughs) just, just not a good situation, but to go outside and walk around in my neighborhood. Yeah. Now I'm sold or to go for a hike in the forest with Bodhi. Awesome. And at this time of year in particular to notice the visuals. So like to notice the color changes that are happening, um, is, is like, cherry on top of the ice cream sundae kind of thing um and actually there's one tree on campus that I've been paying particular attention to because it caught my attention about two weeks ago and I'm watching it because it is actually behind so of the sort of trees that are in its vicinity on campus all of them have changed in full beautiful colors right so that's what actually grabbed my attention was there's this big massive maple tree and it's turned this beautiful color of orange but right next to it is this smaller maple tree and it's only about halfway there. So all of the other trees in the vicinity are like, they've reached their goal. They are about to drop their leaves. They've changed their color. They look beautiful. And this one, only about half its leaves have changed and half of them are still green. Like it's holding on to summer for for as long as it can. And when I when it caught my attention the other day, it kind of made me smile because that's kind of analogous to like students or people who are processing their way through academia or like working on a project. It's like some of when you look around and it seems like 
no, like everybody's ahead or everybody's done or everybody's doing better than I am. And like, this too shall pass. We'll get there in our own time, right? So this tree eventually will catch up and it will turn all of its leaves and it will fall and then winter will happen and I will be a little less uh, exuberant when the when the snow flies. But um, yeah, so just for me, I take a minute to just notice the visuals and in particular in the fall, it's really easy to do. But you could take in the sounds you could take in like if you're more into I don't know cooking you could take in the food scent kind of or the taste right so you can just practice in small increments and just focus on one element as opposed to thinking that you have to be perfect at mindfulness and you have to meditate for an hour to reap its rewards it's not true absolutely that was really beautiful about the tree actually it reminds me of this morning I was on my way back from rugby practice and there's a tree right outside of LaSalle and I got a wonderful picture of the, the sunrise with the trees <laughs> yeah nice see there you go without even realizing it you were being mindful exactly um so you you made mention about the the maple um being analogous with, with students and with the naval and officer cuts and it just makes me think of one question um just to wrap up our interview here so do you have a particular message for the naval and officer cadets of RMC and other new CAF members up with regards to resilience? Yeah, so I think um, the textbook definition of resilience talks about bouncing back, right? So you're going to go through life, you're going to go through your career, and bad stuff is going to happen. And it's how well, or perhaps not so well, you bounce back to where you were before that stressor or challenge happened. And that textbook definition isn't bad by any means. Um, but there's new language that we can put into use as well. And like you mentioned, it's anti-fragility. And, and the idea behind anti-fragility is not just bouncing back to where you were, but what, what comes from that that is beneficial? What do you learn? How do you grow? How do you change? How do you come back even stronger? And I think that is actually where we should be focusing our attention as new academics, as cadets that are about to graduate and go off to their first posting, young CAF members that are perhaps in that first posting is, yeah, you are going to experience challenges. Some of those challenges are going to be uh, more severe or more, you know, more challenging than others. But every situation, every instance, there is the opportunity to not only rebound to where you were before, but to grow from it. And like I mentioned uh, with some of your questions, I rely on the people around me. So, you know, how how can I form a better relationship? How can I um, use the people around me to help me grow in that way? Are there people out there that have a growth mindset that I can mimic and I can learn from? um is i think really important and sometimes sometimes that comes from your peers sometimes that comes from somebody who's perhaps of higher rank than you um or or maybe you know like it's coming from one of your teachers so you know like as as a member of the academic wing the other piece of advice that i would would give is that you can come and talk to us at any time it doesn't always have to be about course content sometimes we just have um you know, like life wisdom knowledge. And some of us have, the, you know, those growth mindset kind of qualities and characteristics that we've worked on in addition to our academic knowledge. And so, um, yeah, just, you know, practice makes perfect and this too shall pass, but also relying on the people uh, in your social networks can be really beneficial. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, this was a really uh, lovely interview. It was fantastic to actually get to have this kind of discussion with you since you're usually the one um, on the other side. You know, yeah. noticing and doing all that technology stuff and organizing it, sending all those emails. But um, it was a real pleasure to talk with you today. Well, thanks so much, Courtney. It was, uh, you know, a moment of bravery for me because it's easier to sit behind the curtain and sit behind the computer screen. And um, and thanks for being the the great interviewer that you are and, and being open to uh, sitting down with me today and having this conversation and pulling me out from behind that curtain. Thank you. such an interesting character strength, don't you think? It is often the misunderstood and underappreciated character strength. Admittedly, humility can take on many forms and labels, but as its name suggests, and as Worthington 2007 pointed out, it's the quiet virtue. Others have called humility the underdog strength, while others still have suggested that people who demonstrate humility might also be described as people who are humble or modest. All of this is probably what led Weidman and colleagues 2018 to point out that there really isn't a consensus in the psychological literature about what humility is, because conceptualizations and terminology can vary quite a bit from study to study. In addition, those authors point out that humility is often operationalized in a favorable way, as a positive, social, desirable construct. When in reality, other perspectives outside of psychology suggest that humility might have a much darker and not so favorable aspect to it. Indeed, humility is paradoxical, as Brian Robinson points out in his 2020 handbook on the philosophy of humility. Robinson posits that while we can truthfully brag about other characteristics like bravery or intelligence, when we boast about our humility, it seems counterproductive. You're bragging about how humble you are. Weidman and colleagues found, through cluster analysis of five different studies examining humility, that humility can take two distinct and opposing forms. The first they labeled as appreciative humility, which occurs when a person demonstrates authentic emotions like pride and guilt and evaluates their accomplishments using prestige-based indicators. You can elicit appreciative humility by celebrating personal successes and by celebrating the success of others. Sounds pretty easy, right? Well, like most things in life, humility is all about balance. Because on the other side of appreciative humility, at least according to Weidman and colleagues, is self-abasing humility. This type of humility is often elicited by personal failure, when we evaluate ourselves negatively, and when we go out of our way to hide from other people's evaluations. This type of humility, not surprisingly, is rooted in shame, submissiveness, and low self-esteem. More recently, research on humility has shifted to apply humility as a potential beneficial skill. That is, in social environments that are highly competitive, like the field of academia or business, or where social hierarchies exist, like in the military, could humility be the key variable that differentiates successful people from unsuccessful and effective leaders from ineffective ones? For example, research published in 2019 by Zhang and colleagues examined whether humility demonstrated by leaders increases employee well-being. They wondered if, based on social information processing theory, if employees will change their behavior if their leader regularly displays high levels of humility. 
Social information processing theory suggests that, quote, environmental information cues influence individuals' attitudes and behaviors, end quote. In this context, the leader is a valuable and vital source of information because of their high status and direct influence over those that they lead. When leaders demonstrate humility, they are more likely to appreciate others' strengths, admit to their own shortcomings or mistakes, notice and encourage growth in others, and switch out of the leader-follower role. That is, use role reversal and take a backseat to allow someone else to lead on occasion. According to Zhang and colleagues, when leaders do this, employees will try to adapt their own behaviors and attitudes to align with that of the leader. They state that humble leaders send salient messages to followers that behaving humbly is encouraged and accepted. As such, employees start demonstrating more humility too. They begin to see themselves more accurately, they start to appreciate the strengths of their colleagues, and they see the value in learning from their peers. That is, leader humility is contagious. Did you know that demonstrating more humility can actually improve your wellness and well-being? It's true. Owens and colleagues 2013, as well as Zawadzka and Zaluska 2017, found that people who process self-relevant information, accepting both positive and negative qualities about themselves, tend to experience higher well-being and higher psychological health. Likewise, Van Torgen and colleagues demonstrated that when dyads, two people in a relationship, demonstrate mutual humility during a major life transition in their relationship, they often have better mental health outcomes compared to people in dyads where humility was not the focus. That's your control group, by the way. Additionally, when in a disagreement, dyads where people use their humility when resolving the conflict experienced higher life satisfaction scores and reduced physiological markers of stress. For example, reduced blood pressure. But are the benefits of humility only seen in this social context with other people, or can humility benefit the individual when demonstrated for their sole benefit? It turns out that while humility is something we often demonstrate towards others, having humility in and of itself provides individual benefits as well. For example, the work of Gautiz and Abadie, 2017, suggested that humility promotes emotional and psychological well-being through self-acceptance. And Krauss and colleagues 2016 demonstrated that humility helps us moderate the potential impact of negative stressors. Tong and colleagues 2019 found there was a positive correlation between humility and people's emotional and psychological well-being at different time points of measurement. While this doesn't mean that people who have humility will be psychologically and emotionally well, it does suggest that if you display humility, you are more likely to experience these wellness outcomes. So how can you boost your personal humility and hopefully reap some of these notable rewards? You can use the tools of the Prove model found in Dr. Ryan Nemec's Character Strengths Intervention Field Guide. This model is a well-validated, empirically tested model that includes several activities from examining times when you weren't humble to exploring times when you were humble in favor of someone else's success or glory. There are several longer writing-based practices that we will happily share with you in the future when humility pops up again in someone else's story of resilience. But for now, let's focus in on the V within the PROVE acronym, which stands for Value All Things to Lower Self-Focus. 
The goal of this activity is pretty quick and easy. So grab yourself a piece of paper and write down five things that you think, or perhaps have already realized, you should value more. The next step is to consider why you should value those things more. Perhaps why you have overlooked them and how you might be able to shift your value focus onto them in the future. The next step helps us gain perspective and humility, two character strengths for the price of one. So in this next task, we encourage you to consider a situation that most people would view as negative. Perhaps it's being assigned extra tasks at work when you're already a very busy person. Perhaps it's breaking down on the side of a busy street when you're trying to get somewhere quickly. Perhaps it's receiving another hefty bill in the mail. How can these things still have value? Can you shift the negative focus towards the value focus? In the examples we suggested, does being assigned extra tasks really mean that your superiors have confidence in you to handle more tasks? Do they consider you to be dependable and hardworking? While breaking down on the side of the road would put a damper on anyone's day, can it be valuable? Maybe it helps you realize how resourceful you can be, or how dependable your friends are because when you really need their help, they show up for you. That bill in the mail? Eh, it's only bucks. And I already know I don't have to tell you that money is valuable, but there are other more valuable things that come and go from your life. You have the ability to shift from yourself to others, from others to yourself, from negative situations to positive, and so on. So give it a try. Can you value all things to lower self-focus? Interestingly, when Lavlock and colleagues 2014 randomly assigned participants to complete a longer version of this activity, as well as the others included in the PROVE model, thereby having their participants actively focus on humility, the participants were in fact able to boost this character strength relative to controls, who didn't participate in an activity that focused on humility. Interestingly, this activity had a ripple effect, and while the participants boosted their humility, they also boosted their ability to forgive and their ability to demonstrate patience, all while decreasing their expressions of general negativity. That's pretty cool, right? Well, at least we think so. Until next time, practice your resilience and stay resilient. Season 4 is just around the corner, and we have some new features in store for you. But we want to know, who do you think is resilient? Who would you encourage to step in front of our podcast microphone and tell their story of resilience? We welcome listeners just like you to nominate potential future guests of the Resilience Plus podcast. All you have to do to nominate a guest is send an email to myself, Dr. Megan Wilkin, at megan.wilkin at rmc.ca. That's M-E-A-G-H-A-N dot W-I-L-K-I-N at rmc.ca. Or you can send an email to Dr. Lubna Sharif at resilienceplus at rmc.ca. That's R-E-S-I-L-I-E-N-C-E-P-L-U-S at rmc.ca. Simply let us know their name and a brief explanation of why you think they would make a great guest, and then leave the rest to us. The opinions expressed during this podcast are those of the speakers and or author. They do not purport to reflect the opinions or views of the Royal Military College of Canada, the Department of National Defence, 
and its members and or the Government of Canada and its members. The opinions and empirical information expressed in this podcast do not imply the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of the Royal Military College of Canada, the Department of National Defence or the Government of Canada and are the sole opinion of the speaker or are information gathered from accredited sources whenever possible. The Resilience Plus podcast is neither intended nor implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. It is simply provided for educational purposes only to give RMC and RMC Saint-Jean, Naval and Officer Cadets, staff and faculty access to tools and knowledge that they can use to foster their resilience and to assist them in achieving success. Nothing presented in the Resilience Plus podcast or program is intended to be used for medical diagnosis or treatment. Anyone seeking psychological counseling, therapy, or other forms of mental health services is advised to consult a licensed mental health services provider for support if needed.